I call you? Mod? Mod son? What do you like to be called? Yeah, Mod. M-O-D, man. That's like, um, I I, uh, I was really good at giving everyone nicknames my whole life, so I gave myself one. I did not love the name that I was born with. I'm like growing into it a little bit now, but I love Mod. Okay, Mod, thank you for taking the time. Aside from doing media today, how's your day going? <laughs> Dude, it just started. I just, I just got up 20 minutes ago, man. Are you nocturnal what? like I am? Yeah, bro, I cannot sleep at night. I really, like, I'll hit, like, a stride where I'm able to get up in the morning and, and get all that stuff done before noon. And then with getting this album out, getting ready for tour, and, oh, my God, man, it's been crazy. So I'm a total insomniac. I hear you. Feeding into that with God Save the Teen and all that, do you always record at night, or are you functional in the daytime in sessions oh that's so crazy i love this question um so up until my last album internet killed the rock star i recorded all my music all my music from the hours of like midnight and 5 a.m all of it mm -hmm. and then started working with my producer john feldman oh yes who notoriously wakes up at 4 a.m okay this guy wakes up at 4 a.m. and goes to sleep early. Yeah. And he is an avid daytime record session guy, okay? Yeah. And um, he's been my dream producer since I was in, like, ninth grade, for real. When I get it. Goldfinger <laughs> is fantastic, but the hits he's had beyond Goldfinger, he's like the Desmond Child of punk rock at this point. Dude, 100%. And like the used album, like that changed my life. So um, anything to work with him was what I was going to do. And uh, I think it captures a different energy, definitely, recording during the day, you know? And um, it's worked out great. So am I, am I absolutely functional the second I get there? No, but I get excited <laughs> to start making music. So does that mean you have an energy drink endorsement in the works to make oh. that? better and happen dude have you heard of c4 the energy drink c4 i've had it now correct me if i'm wrong here does it give you the tingle in the left arm the c4 yes dude, yes. yes oh my god bro it feels it's like it 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 feels like it's a drug dude for real <laughs> well it's such a pleasure to be speaking with you because i admire how hard you are to classify like in terms of the collaborators, every genre possible, Charlotte has nothing to do with Travis Barker, has nothing to do with Avril, et cetera. They're all over the place. Yeah. The genres, I can't classify you. I can't classify you, uh, classify you by job title. You are mod son. And by that, I mean, like, are you a singer, a rapper, a producer, a songwriter, a fashion guy? I don't know what you are. How do you like to be thought of or call yourself? Well, just that, dude, here's... Here's something awesome that I've stuck to. Um, I've stuck to for a long time and it, and it really made sense recently. So, mm -hmm. know the quote, a jack of all trades is a master of none. Yeah. Okay. That is a paraphrase of the actual full quote. Are you aware of this? I, I never heard that before. What's the full quote? The full quote. It's a William Shakespeare quote. The okay. full quote is a jack of all trades is a master of none, but a master of none is often better than a master of one. Oh, really? That so, is the full quote. 
I don't know who decided to chop it in half and make people feel bad for wanting to do a lot of things in this life. Okay. Yeah. And I've always, I've always had this desire to, you, I mean, I looked at it at, I do a lot of things artistically thinking as if I'm already dead and gone. That's, that's how I've operated my whole life because, um, in, in a lot of ways, I've had, I've had amazing supporters for a lot of my career, but I've never been the biggest artist in the world. So a lot of it is a self-motivating kind of thing. Um, and I have fueled myself for the last 15 years on thinking that when I die, I want it to be artist author, painter, director, all these things, musician, producer. I want it to be a list of things and leave as much behind as I can. Um, so when it comes to classifying me um, as anything, I, I think it really just goes into like, I mean, it's just the, the one word does it for me. It's just artist. And, you know, we use artist for, for pretty much anything that has to do with creating something out of nothing, right? So when you started out in music, people first knew you as a drummer. Did you have all these aspirations to do all these things? Or is it once you started seeing the world, you then decided that you're more than just a drummer? Oh, no, I've always, I've always, always wanted to do as much as I can. I mean, I've, I've always said since I was young, I was going to direct a movie, write a movie. I've always said since I was young, I was going to write books and been fascinated with typewriters. And, um, and the idea of, you know, it's always been a romanticized thing to me, the, the, the writer locked away by himself, banging at a typewriter, mm -hmm. putting down pages and full of words that no one may never read, you know? Yeah. So you create no matter whether people are paying attention or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and once I've started to hit a stride where more people pay attention, um, I try to essentially ignore that and mm -hmm. stay as close to the center of what I just said, which is creating like no one's ever going to hear it, read it, watch it, any of that. So your new album, half of it pretty much has come out as singles before it's out. How long has it actually been done for? No, 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 no. On the contrary, none oh. of the songs on the album came out as singles. So those are, so I apologize for that mistake right there. So non-album singles that were actually non-album singles. Yes. So, so I released four songs um, last year that in my mind was the, uh, the, typical rollout for an album in these times. Um, I got down to about three weeks before I had to turn this album in, maybe about two weeks, honestly. And I was listening to the album and as an avid music fan, I am a fan of music. I listen to sure. New Music Friday every Thursday at 9 p.m. I listen to everyone's album that comes out. 
it felt like the event of an album had been lost in space a little bit. And that all of a sudden when you hit play and you've heard four of the songs on the album, it loses, it's like removing bones from the body. And all right. of a sudden I feel like this event, like, like, like I've always held on to since I was a kid. I'm a kid that went, that skipped school to go to, to Best Buy on Tuesdays or the local record store on Tuesdays, whoever's out buying, and remember it feeling like this true event. And um, I wanted to give that back to the people that listen to me and present them with an album that had zero singles on it. Now, when I say singles, I don't mean songs that are big and could live as singles. I just simply mean any songs that were released by themselves. So mm -hmm. now it play on this, it, it, um, all the songs live together as one and they tell a bigger story. So a concept album without being in a, a correct progressive rock genre themed album. Yeah, it's not, it's not Pink Floyd. You know what I'm saying? We did like, it's not the, the, it's not a, a, an over, over your head kind of concept album, but it is 100% telling a story from start to finish. And that means something to me. And uh, I mean, I've done this for a long time. And, and I, if I can still continue to find ways to take risks or mm -hmm. find ways to, at the lack of sounding self-righteous or something, do what, no, what I don't see anyone else doing, that's what excites me in this. And it's like, excuse me. It's like my last album, I found the most success that I've had up to this point in a very fortunate, fortunately lengthy career. And um, I feel no need to be, why I've been able to evolve as an artist and like you said, a rapper are you this are you that is because i'm not competing with myself each album and project i'm really trying to create something that like i said whether it's beloved right now or in a few years i know that it's going to be most important after i'm dead and gone you know so I'd have to imagine that some of that has to do with the company that you keep. You mentioned before John Feldman, Travis is a collaborator, Mr. Gun Kelly, uh, that's what I'll call him instead of MGK. These are yeah. all people that transcend genres and labels. And they say that you are the product of the five people that you spend the most time with. I have to imagine, I'm projecting a little bit, that you're watching the people around you going, well, they don't have to fit in this box or these parameters. Why do I? Um, I, I agree with the quote, um, but I, I separate that from art though, completely. Like I, I actually don't, that's never entered my ethos to be like, these people don't have to do it this way. I don't, I look at Bob Dylan, man. That That's what I look at. That I, I don't look at any of my peers as them as someone that I'm trying to follow their footsteps. Truly, to be totally honest, I look at Bob Dylan. I look at someone who's in his 80s, who um, 
got booed off stage for the first year that he played like a Rolling Stone. Mm -hmm. Regarded as one of the greatest songs of all time now. I look at someone who was being praised as the voice of a generation with an acoustic guitar and then decided to plug in and play electric and was ridiculed. Yeah. And then once he was praised for that, he went and made a country album, got ridiculed. Once he got praised for that, he went and made a gospel album. Right. Then he went on to make piano standards. That that's who I look at. I, I don't need I don't need a handful of artists for me to um to think about. I literally go to Bob Dylan and I look at someone who has simply decided to and in the most non confrontational or negative way be ahead of the audience. Well said. Well, two more questions for you and then I'm gonna let you roam free. No and problem. The first one is it sounds like creating is the easy part for you and that you create faster than the stuff comes out. So are you the kind of artist where you're already three steps ahead or you're already like, well, that's my album in 2024? Because that's the vibe I kind of get. Well, I've, I mean, in a lot of ways, yeah. I walk into the studio that day with a song, you know, yeah. that, that's my, that is my, my goal every day. So what that does is it creates a lot of songs to choose from. Um, I I have really held on to the idea that every great artist recreates themselves every 10 years. Hmm. First 10 years of my music career, I was playing drums. Second 10 years, I was rapping. This 10 years I've been singing and in like alt leaning, pop punk leaning. Right. Um, melodic landscape songs i know what my next 10 years is going to be and i am ready to start working on that um but i'm really focused on this album right now hyper focused more than anything because like i'm about to go on on the biggest tour that i've ever been on you know right. the, the biggest headline tour that i've ever done the biggest rooms i've played live shows since i was 15 years old I played in a lot of those 500 cap venues for 15 years, man. And to get the graduation up to the bigger venues at this point in my career, like I'm super focused on creating the best show possible for that. So I'm pretty stuck in, in this moment right now. The last question I have for you, you mentioned the used being a very instrumental band and you yet also Bob Dylan being instrumental. What was your first concert that you went to as a fan and not, you know, dragged along by people? Warped Tour 2001. Was that the Weezer year, the Green Day year? So it was either 2000 or 2001, but it was the year of Blink-182 with the giant fuck sign on fire. It was that year and it was like Newfound Glory, um, Alkaline Trio, uh, Alien Ant Farm, um, yeah, I mean, dude, just I stood at the front and they were they were all on the main stage. I stood at the barricade the entire day, watched every single one of them and left that day being like, that's I, I'm I'll, I'm going to do that or die trying. So thank you, Kevin Lyman, for changing the world. That's oh, my I'm God. <laughs> my life. 
Kevin Lyman, I got to, before we go, I got a great Kevin Lyman story. Sure. Just to show how amazing he is. Um, so at the very early start of my career, very start of Modson as a career. So this was, I think, 2009, maybe 2010. No, I think it was 2009. Um, I had took a meeting with a booking agent in New York City. And I walked into the to uh, his office and I sat down and he said, do you want some water? And I was like, of course, yeah, sure. So he gets up and walks out. This was the days where you still had a Rolodex, okay? Yeah, oh yeah. On his desk. Soon he walks out, I flip through it. I find Kevin Lyman's number and email. I write it down and leave this meeting. And I, I send Kevin Lyman an email, cold email, just explaining my story. The first show that I ever saw was this. I played drums in a band called Four Letter Lies, Scary Kids Scaring Kids, been part of the scene forever. Yeah. Can you give me a shot? Just like the biggest wide-eyed dreamer type of thing to do. And Kevin Lyman emails me back and he puts me on the entire warp tour that that the upcoming summer. And that had that not happened, who knows if you'd be here right now. So. Who, who knows man you changed one thing in your history and who knows where you'd end up that is inspirational well thank you for your time looking forward to the irving plaza show and continued success looking forward to that eventual movie as well yes well i i have a movie out actually just that in we released a movie last year me and machine gun kelly wrote and directed a movie starring pete davidson megan fox dove cameron uh whitney cummings it's crazy bro it's called What's good the name of that movie Good morning. Morning spelled with a U. Like the Alkaline Trio uh, album and all that. Okay. That is yep. going on the rental queue. Thank you, my son. Have a wonderful rest of the day, man. Take care. Yep. In New York, man. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Brent Smith from the band Shinedown, and you are watching the Paltrowcast. Nick, aside from having to do media, how's your day going so far? <laughs> it's been a busy day. Month, you know? <laughs> Monday is always a tough day. <laughs> right. Even in the surfing community. Well, yeah. we were connected uh, because you're in the documentary Groundswell, which Monster Energy is a big part of. When did you actually film your part of that? Uh, we've been talking um, for quite a while to bring the Monster crew over to Nazare to do some filming over the years. Um, and it finally came together last February where this monstrous swell showed up and, and we just made it happen. You know, it was like, it felt like, you know, like they pulled the trigger at the right, at the right time, you know, like it's hard, you know, when you're dealing with nature, when you're dealing with big waves, you never know when those big waves are going to show up and everything is perfect. And it actually, uh, you know, for ground swell, everything came together for, you know, to record one of the best days ever, um, which was quite special. Yeah. How far back does your working relationship with Monster go? I've been a Monster team rider for over 10 years. I think we're getting close to 15 years. Um, I've been riding for them since I'm 17. So, yeah, it's, it's been a long journey. A lot, of, uh, a lot of ups, a lot of downs throughout my career. You know, professional surfing, there's a lot of ups, a lot of downs. And you just got to right. navigate like you navigate the ocean. <laughs> well said. So that said, how much of your career is planned in advance, whereas going, we're going to be here next month? In other words, do you know what 2024 already looks like? 
I don't even know how tomorrow looks like. Uh, this last month has been insane. I had to go over to the U.S., to Hawaii, three times in three weeks. Uh, something I'm not proud of at all. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, like, when you're chasing swell, you never know how the ocean is going to react. The Atlantic has been really active the last couple of years. That's where my base is in Portugal. Mm -hmm. um, but they called on the Eddie Aikawa event. We went over to Cortez Bank on a surf mission as well. And then, um, so yeah, it's been really active. Uh, I went over to Hawaii three times within, you know, three weeks and the trip was booked literally 12 hours before. But that's, you know, like during winter time, that's, that's our reality. We got to be on at all times, just ready to, to chase big waves. And when they happen, we drop everything and just go. How much recovery time do you need from flying? Like, for example, do you fly in two days before the tournament or the competition? I wish. I really wish. You know, how long do you take to recover from a flight? I mean, I would say at least, you know, two, three days. Uh, but our reality is, you know, these storms, these waves change so fast mm -hmm. uh, to good and bad. So we, you know, our decisions are literally, you know, 12 hours before, 24 hours before. And we get there, uh, you know, eight hours before, 12 hours before a, a big wave event or a big swell. And we just got to adapt, you know, we just got to man up and, and bring our best suit to the game and, and make it happen. You know, it, it, it seems pretty crazy, but that's our reality. You know, we basically, we basically step out of uh, a plane into a big wave. Yeah. That's, that's the reality. <laughs> that is definitely more improvisation than most professional athletes or sports. Like for example, if you're talking about somebody from mixed martial arts, they, unless they're a fill-in, they know their fight months in advance. They have their camp week to week to week. They can study the tape, et cetera. Whereas you just have to kind of go, well, I'm here, time to get in the water. That's, that's, a, that's a great way to put it. We got to be ready at all times, how you can compare it to, you know, to a fighting uh, matches. I mean, those guys train every day as well. They're ready every day, right? Obviously, they have a training routine and they know exactly when they're going to fight. They prepare mentally towards it. Yeah. Uh, we do too. We just don't know when our fight is going to happen, you know? Uh, so we start we start training months in advance uh, and then we just have to be ready at all times, you know? Uh, my, my next fight might be tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and then the opposite of that. Once you have that great competition, do you have a good wind down routine or you go, well, I'm here. It's going to be this meal, this pub food, you know, that kind of a thing. Do you have a celebration routine? Celebration. I mean, celebration, surviving uh, a big day like that. That's the celebration itself. You know, just coming home in one piece, sitting down with your friends, with your family, having a nice meal, having a nice pint of beer. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's just, you know, everything feels special, but it ha also has a downside, you know, when you, when your adrenaline rush is so high, it's really hard to come down from it. You know, I always feel like you can always do better, you know, uh, that's what also, also pushes me forward and what has kept me in the game for so long. You know, I'm never satisfied. I'm always looking for the next challenge. So, um, you know, I wish I could, I, I could, uh, I could be totally stoked after a big ways, but but it's, it's, you know, it's obviously you're happy, but there's always the, you know, the wanting more, more adrenaline. And that's what, you know, keeps us in the game. Hmm. Well, down to two questions and hopefully these are easier ones and then I'll let you go. And the first one is I'm dialing in from Long Beach, New York, not Long Beach, California, Long Beach, New York. 
Have you surfed here? Were you part of one of the Quicksilver or Hurley tournaments? I, I was not. No, I was not actually. But um, yeah, I mean, great ways in, in New York, right? It's crazy to think that there's great ways in New York, but it's the truth. You know, New York is the surf town. You can catch a train from the center of the city to the ocean. And that's crazy to think of, you know, uh, there's great surfers like Will Scudin, uh, Balaram Stack. There's a great uh, surfing community down there. And yeah, it's amazing to see, right? It's, it's really awesome. I can see it out the window right now. And uh, my last question for you before I let you go, do you have a TV recommendation? What is Nick watching on TV these days, if anything? <laughs> Good question. Um, I love documentaries. I'm a big fan of documentaries. And I, f- I feel like we're very spoiled these days with, uh, um, you know, with, with the streaming platforms like Netflix, HBO, uh, you know, Apple TV, everyone's got some cool stories going on. So I like the stories. I love sports. I love uh, uh, something a little bit more controversial, like a cool story. You know, that's, that's what I thrive of, you know, or a good movie, obviously. Um, a great, great movie also. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of, yeah. <laughs> when you say great sports documentaries, you mean Groundswell, the other side of fear? Exactly. I mean, Groundswell was, was, was absolutely great. I was so proud how, you know, my sport was brought across in, in that movie. I thought that, you know, end section of this day, it's not because, it, not because I'm starring in it, <laughs> but I just thought it was, it was very well put together. It was very well filmed. The swell was absolutely a swell of, of the swells and, and, um, yeah, I mean, the team was great. Um, the cast was not too bad either. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that's, that's you know, it is definitely a great one. Well, thank you for your time. And hopefully we'll get you out here to Long Beach, Long Island, New York, so you can put everyone to shame with a victory in a tournament in the near future. Thank you very much, Darren. Hey, yo, check one, two. This is Flavor Flav, and I don't disappear fast. Because right now, you are watching the Paltrowcast. Looking at the casting in terms of what you do, I like how you combine traditional voiceover actors, traditional anime people, and then some of our favorite movie and TV stars from yesteryear. (laughs) The Kingstar King new programming does that yet again. Has it been difficult to assemble casts like that? I mean, yeah, we get rejections from some actors. I can't say like who, but uh, it, it kind of sucks. Um, but uh, for the most part, I got like 95% of the people I wanted on this, which was absolutely great. I mean, with someone like Andy McDowell, for instance, it was, uh, we were in the middle of casting King Star King and my wife goes out to draw, uh, walk my dog. And a lady walked up to her and said, oh my God, I love your dog. That is the cutest little dog. And she picks it up and she plays with it. And my wife realized, oh, she's like, holy shit, it's Andy McDowell. So she came home and told me, Andy McDowell picked up Dracula today. And I went, what? That's a great idea. We should have Andy McDowell's King Star King's wife. Wow. Do a lot of the castings happen like that? For example, how did Corey Feldman wind up in the fairy tales? That's just like, you know, of course, uh, any person from our generation, uh, it's dreams or work with Corey Feldman. I mean, Stand By Me, Goonies, and then uh, uh, like even Friday the 13th. I mean, so many movies that I watched. It was just like, that was just a childhood dream to come true uh, of mine, to work with Corey Feldman. 
I don't know if it was that the Ascension Millennium video was the inspiration for that, but anyway. <laughs> Yo, what's up? Justin Sane here from Anti-Flag, and you're watching the Paltrow cast. Take it easy. Peace. Outro cast.